0: out a story. There we go. A story in the Old Testament that uh, is a pretty famous story. And as we do this, we're going to talk about the commitment that was required in this story. And I, tonight, am going to invite you to the same kind of wholehearted commitment that this great man of God had. You know, God created the world and You know the story about Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel, I suspect. Most of you will know that story and how Cain did evil and he was rejected and God gave them another son named Seth. And then as time goes on and people are born and there becomes more and more population, the world becomes more and more wicked. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 7 we find that it is a very, very wicked place. In fact, even back in Genesis chapter 5, we find a little bit about the wickedness of the earth. The Bible says that it had become an extremely wicked place such that people only thought about evil continually. Now that's a pretty wicked place, isn't it? When I first moved to Dallas, I moved to Dallas from a small town in Oklahoma, moved to Texas from Oklahoma, but I was raised in Lindsay, Oklahoma. Many of you know it's a very small town, a couple of thousand people. And when I came to Dallas, I decided, you know what, this is a wicked, wicked place. There was a lot of bad stuff went on in Dallas. In fact, I was so impressed with the wickedness of Dallas that my first apartments had gates. You know, those gates that run across. I thought, boy, that'll be secure. (laughs) It's just a nuisance. It's not secure. When I think about the world that Noah lived in, and I think about what a wicked world it was, I can identify with that today. You know, we think about America. America back 400 years ago was a bunch of Puritans. Guess why they called them Puritans? (laughs) Because they tried to stay pure, morally pure. They would punish people who did immoral things. Now, it's legal to kill your unborn children and against the law to pray in school. It's change. It's a wicked world that we live in. And the Bible tells us that God looked out on this world and He was... In fact, the Bible actually uses the word repent. It says it repented God that He'd made man. you know what that means? It means He changed His mind. You ever think about God changing His mind? He did. He said, man, I wish I'd never even made them. In fact, he was so disgusted, he said, I'm just going to kill all of them. But there was one guy the Bible tells us about, and his name was Noah. And this guy, the Bible says, was righteous. Now that doesn't mean he never sinned. What that means, is we'll find out, is that this guy had a wholehearted commitment to God. He loved God, and he tried to obey God, and he tried to serve God. And he's the only guy that was there except for his wife, their three sons, and three daughter-in-laws. And God, being the God that He is, has always, as Scripture tells us, been a just God and He's been fair. He's never destroyed righteous people with wicked people. And He didn't in this case. But what He did is He came and He spoke to Noah. And He says this, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about Noah. I don't know if Noah was a a banker or a farmer or a carpenter. The Bible doesn't tell us. We know he was about 500 years old when this happens. That's pretty old, isn't it? 500 years and God comes and talks to him. I don't know if God talked to Noah all the time or if this is the only time. We don't know. What we do know is what He said here is, it's wicked out there, Noah, which Noah already knew. And He said, the end of all flesh has come before me and I'm going to kill them. In fact, He goes ahead and says this, And behold, I Myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Can you imagine God telling you that? That everybody that's alive is going to die? Everyone? That must have been kind of ominous, mustn't it? I can't imagine what that would have been like. So God tells Noah he's going to flood the earth. And this flood is going to be a big flood. It's going to cover everything. All the mountains. All the buildings. It's going to cover all the trees. It's going to cover everything that there is on the face of the earth. And He says to Noah, you're going to need a boat. He says, make you an ark. Now the word ark just means box. And what it was was a great big floating box. And He told him, How big he wanted that to be. He says, I want you to build this big floating box that's a football field and a half long, 75 feet wide, and four stories tall. Now that's huge, isn't it? A football field and a half long. Now, from what we can tell, it took Noah about a hundred years to build this ark. And you know, as you read this story, what you don't read is the next day log trucks start rolling up at Noah's house. <laughs> Somebody had to get that wood. He didn't run down to the local Home Depot. In fact, I suspect he didn't even have power tools. It took him a long time to build that ark. And you know what Noah did? Noah was the kind of guy, when God said, do it, Noah was just going to do it. Look at what we read about Noah. It says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He did everything God told him to do. And he did it just the way God told him to do it. He built that ark, and then God told him, he said, we're going to put animals in this ark and you're going to bring them by twos, the male and his female, and there's going to be some that are clean and some that are unclean. And the Bible tells us God caused these animals to come together. Now, occasionally I go to this place called Detroit, which is just outside of Paris, both of those in Texas. And this guy has this camp out there, and at this camp he's got his own private zoo. And he has got... Three bears and lions and tigers and a rhinoceros and all kinds, all kinds of monkeys and all kinds of weird stuff. And it's neat. I mean, I enjoy walking around and, and I take pictures and send them back to the kids. And they got these goats that have these little horns to do. And it's just interesting. It's impressive when that lion roars, and I'm pretty glad he's back behind all that chain link. God brought. Two of every kind of animal you can imagine. All of them. He brought them to the ark and He put Noah and his family, told them to go into the ark and they took the animals in. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. He said, I want you to get in that ark and I want you to go in You and bring your family because you've been righteous. Now, next thing he says is this I will cause it to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. God says, No, I want you to go into the ark because it's going to rain. Now, for you young folks, we've got a lot of young folks here. This is wonderful did you know it had never ever rained on the earth till this time? They'd never seen rain. In fact, the Bible says that God caused mist to come up out of the ground to water the earth every morning. Now, think about it. Put yourself in Noah's place. God has said, I'm going to destroy the world. You've built this ark, but there's still been no rain. He had consistent faith. Look at what He says He did. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, and they and every beast after its kind, and they went into the ark, and the Lord shut him in. So they go into this ark, and God shuts the door. Still hasn't rained. Hadn't rained no water yet, but He's inside. The Bible tells us that they were in the ark seven days before it began to rain. And then when it began to rain, God says it came to pass that the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Wouldn't that have been something to see? I read an article just this week that scientists have found that there is more water under the United States, down in the rocks, than there are in all the oceans put together. They opened the fountains of the deep. I say they, God did. And that water erupted from down under the earth. I can't imagine the roar and the shaking and the frightening thing that that must have been and then it says the windows of heaven were opened now that's a picture of storm clouds in my backyard you can't see them very good because of the lights but after the windows of heaven were opened, the bible says the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights it rained was it last night it rained here we were all inside here and some storm clouds came up and there was lightning and thunder and rain started pouring down. And, and Carrie and I stayed around long enough we didn't get wet because it quit after just a little bit. Then didn't quit for them. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And there was water all over the face of the earth. And Noah was in that boat. God had said to him, Come into the ark, you and all your household. Now, we're going to talk about just some of the things that went on with this here in just a second. But we're talking tonight about wholehearted commitment, right? Being committed completely and wholeheartedly. The word wholehearted means this, unconditional commitment. Without reserve, holding nothing back, giving it your all, being all in. Wholehearted means I'm not going to stop for any reason. I'm not stopping. I am whole. And you know what? We appreciate that, don't we? We all admire a wholehearted commitment. We admire wholehearted commitment in a marriage, don't we? We look at somebody and they're committed to that marriage and it doesn't matter what happens, they're staying married. We admire that, don't we? We admire it in a football team, don't we? We admire wholehearted commitment that they're not going to stop. And they're going to play no matter what happens, as hard as they can play. We admire and appreciate that. Noah was a man of wholehearted commitment. He was committed totally. You know, God, when He told him to build this ark, as I mentioned, it had never rained. This thing's huge. Nobody built boats like that. There were no stories about the Titanic because they hadn't built a Titanic. They didn't build things like that because there wasn't any need for it. It didn't rain. And Noah starts building this boat. Do you think people made fun of Noah? I think they probably did. Because nobody believed him. Everybody thought he was a religious quack. He was a nutcase. I want you to think with me just a bit about the cost of this for Noah. To start with, Noah had to work for a hundred years building that boat. That's a long time to work on one project. When my wife and I bought our house, we've lived there for quite a few years now, we first bought it and it was in bad shape. A guy had started to build it and he ended up killed and didn't build it. And I mean, a lot of it didn't even have sheetrock and it had pipes busted in the walls. It was just a mess. And we talked about it, and I told her, I said, let's do this. She goes, well, I don't know. And I said, listen, honey, in 90 days we can have this thing in shape, and if we want to get out of it, we can get out of it in 90 days. It's been 20 years, (laughs) and we're not out of it yet. We've done a lot more than we would have in 90 days. I can't imagine working on one project for a hundred years. Do you think after God told him, hey, listen, I'm going to make it rain, the next morning when Noah got up, do you think he kind of glanced at the sky? See if there were any clouds. After a while, do you think he climbed up on top of that third story when he had the ark, three stories, and he just looked to see if he could see any clouds on the horizon, any direction. He worked for a hundred years without one drop of rain. Are you willing to be committed like that to God? Let me ask, we've talked about a marriage a second ago. You know, a lot of times people say in marriage, we're 50-50 proposition. She gives fifty percent, and I give fifty percent. Well, what if she doesn't? Well, but she's supposed to. But what if she doesn't? What are you going to do? Well, that's not right, though, because she. But what if she doesn't? What are you going to do? Wholehearted commitment is one hundred to zero. That's what it is. It means I don't quit. There will be a time in your marriage, if you're married real long, where you're going to feel like, I can't give anymore. I gave all I could give, and I can't give anymore. And you know what you do when that happens? If you're wholehearted, you give a little bit more, is what happens. But if you're half hearted, you quit. If you're half hearted, you have an incomplete project there. But that wasn't Noah. Noah worked. Noah worked. And he built this ark, and you know, people laughed at him and made fun of him. Hey, Tarzan, how's the boat going? (laughs) Because nobody believed him. Noah was a committed man. Think about this. Not only did he work for a hundred years, but the Bible tells us that during those hundred years that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So not only did he work on that boat, but you know what else he did? Is He went around and he preached to everybody he knew. Everyone he could talk to. And he said, hey, you need to know, water's coming. It's going to fall out of the sky. Now he seemed crazy to people. What would you think if somebody came out here to West Texas and bought 500 acres and put a great big dome over it, started building that dome, spent years and years and years building a big dome and was running around telling everybody, yeah, what's going to happen is the plants are all going to start eating oxygen instead of making it, and if you're not in my dome, you're going to die. What would you think about that guy? You go, hey, how's the dome going? Got air conditioning out there? Noah preached, and nobody believed him. And he preached, and he preached. In fact, he preached for 100 years without one single convert. Now, I have been associated with the church here in Amarillo off and on for 30 or more years. And I know... The church here has seen some good times and the church here has seen some bad times. Those of you who've been here very long, there were some lean times, weren't there? There were some tough times. Church here at Amarillo is such an encouragement to me and everybody that knows about it because y'all are doing a good work and the Lord's blessed you in that. But would you still be doing the work if after all this time you hadn't got one convert. Talk about discouraging. (laughs) I think I'd be looking for another job. If not one, Noah preached for a hundred years and he didn't convert anybody. I want you to think about the things he gave up. He lost his family. As I said, we don't know a lot about Noah. One thing we do know, Noah was 34 years old when Seth died. Do you know who Seth was? That was that third son of Adam and Eve. Very likely, Noah knew Seth. The son of Adam and Eve. He had a lot of family. I mean, everybody around just about was related. He had lots and lots of family. He had to leave them behind. He only got to take his three sons and their wives. That's tough to do. Do you love your family? I said, well, I've got a couple of them I could do without. Do you love your family? Noah was willing to give up his family. Jesus talked about that in the New Testament. He said, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. He was willing to give up all of his friends. You know, he was the only guy around who was righteous. You know, you give a righteous guy, even if he's an introvert... 500 years and he can probably make some friends, right? This guy had to have some friends. They all died in the flood. Even his friends thought he was crazy. Not only that, he gave up his homeland. I've had the opportunity to go to Nigeria. I tell you what, you do something like that, you'll appreciate your homeland. I was sure a happy man when that airplane landed back in the good old U.S. of A., You know what? When the storm was over and the boat stopped on the mountain, he didn't see flags flying from his homeland. It was gone. He couldn't run down to the corner market. He gave up his income. Now, I don't know what he did for a living, but there wasn't nobody to give him a job once this was over. You know what? I mean, there wasn't any wanted ads. They wouldn't need Craigslist to look on. He was just without an income once he got out of that boat. You know what else he gave up? And this would be hard. He gave up his credibility. Now the Bible tells us he was a righteous man. He was the only righteous man. He was the only guy alive that people would say, well, you know what, if he says it, that's the way it is. The only guy with credibility. Because everybody else was corrupt. And he had credibility. He had believability. He'd been righteous for years. And now, Lord, really? You want me to build a big boat and tell everybody water's going to fall out of the sky? Really? After 500 years of being the guy that everybody trusts... Yeah, that's right. He gave up everything that had any value on this earth. He had to give all of it up. But you know what he got? Noah survived. He didn't die. He survived. You know what? This this is a fascinating and neat story to me. I love the stories you can tell. But... God has always required an all or nothing kind of righteousness. God has always required from you and I, from anybody who's been alive, He's required an all or nothing. God is never accepted half-hearted. We have a choice. We're either going to serve Him or we're not going to serve Him. We're not going to kind of serve Him. Because kind of serve Him never satisfied God. There was another man who did all or nothing. This guy's name was Job, and Job was a righteous man, and he served God, and he lost his family, his job, his business, his property, his health. He lost everything. And his wife, his own wife, says to him, You know what? Just curse God and die. And you know what he said? Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Wow. You know what, honey? (laughs) Quit nagging on me. Because even if He kills me, I'm going to serve Him. Because He's God. And I serve God. That's what I do. That's who He is. And that's the way I'm going to live. I'm not going to half-hearted serve Him. I'm not going to serve Him as long as good stuff is going on. You know, the world we live in is full. One, we live in a really pretty comfortable society, don't we? It's a pretty comfortable world we live in. We're isolated from bad stuff a whole lot. We don't even have to smell bad smells very often. You know, we put perfume on and deodorant and deodorize and scentsies all around and all of this. So the world smells good and it looks good. And if your head hurts, you take a little BC powder and and that fixes it. I mean, we live in a pretty good world. And so when we have problems, sometimes those problems hit us, and we just think the whole world's collapsed. And people who have problems and trouble and heartache and sorrow sometimes get mad at God and turn away from Him. "God saved my baby!" And God says, no. Well, I'm done. He didn't save my child. Not Job. Lost all his kids. He's still God. You know what? I still serve him cuz he's still God. Yeah, but you don't know the kind of problems. I lost my job and I'm sick and I yeah. So was Noah, and so was Job. And he's still God. There's another guy in the Bible. The Bible says was a man after God's own heart. <coughs> Suffered a lot of heartache, family heartache in his life. A lot of it was his own doing. But this guy loved the Lord, and you know what he said? He said, "With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments." He said, "God, I'm looking for you as hard as I can look. I'm going to find you. I sought for you with my whole heart. I didn't just make sure that once a week I read a chapter out of the scriptures. That's not what it was. He was wholehearted, completely, totally devoted and committed to God. Three other guys you can read about in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At our house we call them Rack, Shack, and Benny. These guys were in trouble because they wouldn't bow down and worship a false god. The law was made that every time you hear the trumpet play, you're supposed to bow down in front of this idol. These guys wouldn't do that. These guys said, no, we're not. Now, I know how most of us think. We're practical, right? We're pragmatic. We want to just make good decisions, the best decision, and figure out what's wisest. I can hear us saying, well, you know what? If you just get on your knees, you can just close your eyes and say a prayer to the true God and they won't even know it. Can't you see somebody saying something like that? Not these guys. They said, we're not going to do that. And so they were brought in front of the king, and the king said, you do it or I'm going to throw you in a pit full of fire. A burning, fiery furnace. And their answer to him I love. He said, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. But if not... Say, King, He can save us. God can deliver us out of your hand. I don't care how powerful you think you are. He's God. He can save us. He will save us. But if He doesn't, you know what? We're just going to burn serving Him because He's God and we're not going to serve your false gods because that's our commitment. God's always required that of His people. That's the kind of commitment He wants from you. In fact, for you and I, Jesus Christ worded this invitation to this wholehearted commitment this way. Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for yourselves for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now on the surface, when I read that, I might think that's an invitation to a recliner and a cold Dr. Pepper and a remote control and a good football game. (laughs) I can kick back because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's not what that invitation is too. For you and I, you need to think about the cost before you make that commitment. And the cost is this. If it costs your spouse, you're going to serve God. If it takes your spouse away from you, you're going to serve God. Would you do that? It's a tough call, isn't it? I mean, I love my spouse. If it takes your child, if it costs you never seeing your child again, You're going to serve God. If it costs you getting fired unfairly and treated wrong at work, if it costs the government taking everything you've got, you're going to serve God. That's what this kind of commitment is. And if you're not willing to do that, that's half-hearted commitment. Well, yeah, I'll serve you, Lord, but I'm not going to give up my wife. (laughs) I'll serve you, Lord, but I'm not going to give up my kids. I serve you, Lord, but you know, the kids have a ball game tonight, and I'm not going to miss my kids' ball game. That's important, kid. You know, Lord, I've got to support my kids. Are you committed? Really committed? Well, I got a job opportunity, and I know there are no churches that I can worship with a clear conscience at within 300 miles, but you know, it's a. It's a promotion and I don't have to stay there very many years and then I can come back. Really? That's half-hearted commitment. God wants you and I to be serious enough about serving Him that we consider the cost and then we make that choice. Look at this. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? He said, you're going to go build something? The United States did that one time. They built something, got it about halfway up, ran out of money, and had a war they had to fight, and it sat for years just like that. It was years later before they could finish the Washington Monument. If you go there today to see the Washington Monument, about so high up, you can see how the stone changed because they couldn't get the same stone anymore when they finally finished it. Are you willing to spend whatever it takes to serve the Lord? You willing to make that commitment? What king going to war, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able? You know, before we go to war, we don't just go fight somebody we don't think we can win the war against. We try to figure out whether we're going to win or not. And if after we think about it, we decide we can't win that war, you know what we do? We wave a little white flag and we say, hey, (laughs) let's talk about this. Let's have a peace treaty. Let's have a peace accord because don't think I can whip you. Right after Jesus told these two stories or these two analogies, He said this, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want to tell you, that's a job to forsake everything you've got. But the reality is, the only thing you have that's really yours and really worth having is your soul. That will go with you and Jesus Christ, who will walk with you through eternity. Your wife, my wife's here. I'm so glad she's here. She may sit by my side and hold my hand while I die, but she's not crossing the river with me. Only Jesus crosses the river with you. I'm so happy to have some of my kids here. I love them. I want them to be with me. They may sit around my bedside when I take my last breath. But they're not going through the boundary of death with me. Only Jesus does that. How could I give up Jesus for any of this other? I can't. Because He's the only one. And wholehearted commitment means I know that. I know that. I love my wife. I love my kids. But I love my Savior. And that's my commitment right there. And that's what Noah had. And that's what Job had. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. And that's what I want you to have. You know, we've got in any church two different types of Christians. And I want to ask you to examine your heart right now and consider yourself. I say in any church, two different types of people who say they believe in God. You've got the people who are the My cup runs over people. The people who, I'm here to serve. I'm here to give because I have received from God everything I've received, life eternal. It's worth more than anything on this earth. So anything i got, you can have it. Anything I can do for you, I want to do for you. I want to serve, I want to give because I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for Him. Then we've got what I call empty bucket Christians. People that show up with their buckets empty, fill this for me. Give it to me. Fill this for me. Sing the songs I like. And if you don't sing the songs I like, I'm going to gripe about it. And if you still don't sing them, I'm going to go to a different church. Preach the sermon I need. You help me. You preach what I need to hear. You preach what I like. And if you preach too long, we just won't come back next time you preach. I know I'm being a little extreme in the, exagger- or in the illustration but you know what I'm talking about. People that are gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, they didn't call and invite me to that, so I'm just going to be mad for the next six months. Well, I... You know the problem with empty bucket Christians? Is when I'm an empty bucket Christian, it's all about me. And it's not about Him. And if you are all about Him... You're a cup runs over Christian. That's what's going to happen. And you're not going to spend your life whining and belly aching and complaining and being half-hearted in your commitment to the Lord. You serve Him and you're committed to Him because it's to Him and not to anybody else. Jesus said this, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I'm going to tell you what this is, is this is Jesus' admonition to you to be a wholehearted Christian. And that's my admonition to you tonight. That's my request to you tonight. I'm inviting you tonight to be a whole hearted Christian. We're full, the world's full of half hearted. We don't need half hearted. Jesus didn't ask for half-hearted. And I want to ask you consider your own heart. Consider your own life. Are you wholehearted committed to Jesus? Or are you just, well, I'm there. Unless I got something else I'd rather do. Or something else that's more important. My admonition and my invitation to you tonight is be wholehearted. Just give Him everything you got. All of it, not just part of it. All of it. If you'll do that, He will never leave you, He will never forsake you, and you will survive like Noah did. If the church can help you in any way, we sing a song of invitation if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.